Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're doing our spoiler cast for Season 7, Episode 4, titled The Spoils of War. Uh, Aaron, that's kind of your thing. Uh, Joe, B, Joe B wanted us to title this episode The Spoils of Lore. The Spoils of Lore? <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> so there you go, Joe. You got your wish. Yeah. Uh, first thing I want to talk about, I'm going to talk about this in the main podcast, but is a is a burning question about whether it's possible to swim in plate ah. armor. And I, we both came down on the side of no, essentially. No. Yeah. And, and I found this video on Vimeo mm-hmm. uh, where this guy who actually has a full set of period-accurate plate armor that weighs approximately 50 pounds, according, and he wasn't wearing a helmet either, so it's a very one-for-one test for Jamie. Has both of his hands, though. Has both of his hands. Yeah, not um, a, not holding a bowling ball. How would you describe... So this guy jumps into Olympic-sized swimming pool with the aid of some divers and, and does some myth-busting. How uh-huh. would you describe his success or lack thereof? I would describe him as sinking, like yeah, dr- he, drowning. He His conclusion was that a fit a fit person that's that was like, you know, wears armor all the time mm-hmm. would be able to swim short distances. I saw a man who immediately sunk and could not return his head above water, giving it his all. Right. So Me too. I was actually kind of surprised because I, I thought that maybe like I, and I think judging from the if you put like Michael Phelps in this shit mm-hmm. that he wouldn't get halfway down an Olympic swimming pool before he would all it's 50 pounds. And sure. And the thing I didn't even think about is how much of that shit is actually on your legs and arms. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and, and how restrictive it is to your movement. Right. And, and right. you know heavy also there's no current um this guy hasn't just been in a fight for his life it's the ideal uh, he hasn't been knocked off a freaking horse right. and and plowed into a river back back first so yeah, there's I, no way yeah I, I it's it's pretty conclusive i i was leaning that way but this this video contrary to the guy's verbal report at the end i thought it's very clear that this guy was fucked no he tries yeah. backstroke he mm-hmm. tries crawling he tries freestyling and he glub glubs within feet of every single attempt. Yeah. So I'm going to link that to this show notes, and but th- that's a preview of something we're going to be talking about on the main podcast. Um, there's another, because we talked about the fun little map Easter egg that they had where, you know, one of the popular theories about Jamie, um, you know, the book-only prophecy, second part of the prophecy of Maggie DeFrog, where she talks about how fucked Cersei is in her whole life. Mm-hmm. She says that after all these things come to pass, the Valonqar will come to wrap his fingers around your throat and choke the life from you. Yeah. Um, and the Valonqar translated as uh, younger brother in Valerian. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the beginning of the season, when Jamie comes into the map room, Cersei is standing on the neck of Westeros, the the junction of the south and and the north parts, and it's called it's called the neck in the books. And Jamie is standing on the part of Westeros that's referred to as the fingers. Okay. What's well, super funny in this episode, there's a scene where that uh, Tycho Nesterosi or whatever the hell, the Iron Banker, uh, is talking with Cersei and they're like looking at the map from like a little, like a doorway. Mm-hmm. And you can see the way they staged it, the fingers of Westeros are reaching out t- towards Cersei's neck. Hmm. So I, I feel like they're having a lot of fun with this map. Um, yeah. And I want to point that out if you want to check out that scene again. Uh, also, something that I'm not as convinced at, Tom J. from San Diego is the first of many to send me this HuffPost article, uh, which essentially recaps a Reddit thread from two days ago, where they claim that the ghost of Catelyn Stark is walking through Winterfell. 
So if you want to see this, I'm gonna I'm gonna include this uh, show this note in the show notes as well, uh, which is part of the article that you can see on your podcaster or uh, on the website uh, to this HuffPost article. But there's a scene where Arya and and Brienne are sparring right before they do it, where Arya says, "Is it not true?" I'm paraphrasing here that you swore uh, to serve both of my mother's daughters. And as she says the word mother, a woman with auburn hair and in a green Catelyn Starkish dress walks bet- behind the big door of Winterfell in, in the background of the scene. Okay. Uh, it's certainly not actually Catelyn Stark. If you want to call it an Easter egg to like hint towards like some of the Lady Stoneheart stuff, maybe. Mm. But like, I <laughs> feel very certain that that's not intended to hint towards an actual Lady Stoneheart or an yeah, actual yeah. ghost of Catelyn Stark. No, I, I mean you I, saw also, the video, right? Yeah, I, it might be an Easter egg, like at best. But there, there's so many auburn-haired people walking around. Like, I can name six of them off the top of my head. Like, right. there are tons of them. Right. Also, uh, Joanna Robinson, our friend um, uh, from Cast of Kings, um, she writes uh, articles for Vanity Fair. Did you see her article of comparing the fighting styles of Arya? No. How she went through and, and broke down the fight that, like, the beginning of the fight was a um, a nod to the swashbuckling style of Sirio. Um, then it shows her attacking, like, Brienne's weak unarmored points where she learned from the Hound because there's a scene where she tries to get the better of the Hound and she goes to stab him right in his chest and it just mm-hmm. – needle just, like, deflects off of his armor and then the Hound knocks her to the ground. Um, and then the ability when she gets knocked down, that little swivel kick that she used to get back up, she the, they, she learned from Jacken slash the Waif. Hmm. I thought that was really cool that they blended like all those fighting abilities that she learned from these uh, multiple tutors into that fighting style. Yeah. Um, the one thing I really want to talk about before we get into the feedback section is they mentioned the Golden Company. Mm-hmm. Um. And when I first heard that, I'm like, you maniacs, are you actually going to go for this? Because in the books, uh, the Golden Company, of course, we talked about this a lot of times, they were founded by one of the Blackfire uh, Targaryens who, after their failed rebellions, fled over to Essos and started this company. Uh, Agor Rivers, uh, uh, called Bittersteel, his nickname is Bittersteel. Uh, the company's motto is under beneath the gold, the Bittersteel, to give, you know... uh, homage to their their founder Hmm. um but they've always like their their whole thing is they're not like really consumed with money it's more like they all collectively want to go back to westeros they're like danny only several generations older they've been disposed they got thrown out of westeros um uh, they've they've been itching to get back and they eventually hook up with um john connington and uh, the fake i consider him the fake aegon targaryen uh, he's claimed to be the actual son of Rhaegar that was spirited that, that instead of being smashed to death by the mountain, got spirited off and was raised to be the ultimate king and warrior over in Essos. Um, and in the books, they come he comes back with Aegon, uh, or the Golden Company comes back with Aegon, uh, lands in the Stormlands and starts taking over a lot of the big castles and they're moving on Storms in at the end of Dance of Dragons. Hmm. My question to you, or I guess the discussion I want to have is by mentioning this company by name is that a, is that just a wink to the book readers or do you think that they're crazy enough to introduce 
this fake Targaryen plot for intrigue for Danny this late in the game. No, I can't see that. What I could see is they become like, you know, another force um, that we're familiar with, but maybe not intimately. So like, we don't need to know all of their background. Yeah. We don't need to know exactly how it was started and who's heading it up and everything. There are right. I mean, like, there there can be a Dario at the head or whatever, you know, and essentially that's probably good enough just to just to show that there are forces that will fight for Cersei. Right. Um or Danny, I don't know who the, the Iron Bank's gonna back, but yeah, I, I don't think they need to go that far into this story to make to to make this new faction yeah. work. Like I said, I it's it's so weird because and I, I I'm I'm tr- I've always f- tried to figure out like what the double D's were trying to do in their adaptation because it seems like they really things kind of went off the rails momentarily in season five where they tried to get into the Dorn the essence of the Dorn plot but they 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 just kind of did a half ass job and just just kind of half ass is the way you can use to describe everything from Dorn that's not Oberyn, mm-hmm. uh, but. I, it, and and maybe they did that because they still thought that they were going to get the winds of winter and then maybe like the outline of a dream of spring. So they're like, well, we're not completely sure if this Dorn stuff isn't going to be significant. And then they're like, well, fuck it. We're just going to do whatever we want. Um, I don't know, because part of me thinks like just where I was too quick to dismiss, like I thought it was way too, too late in the game to do the King's moot and to bring in Euron. And now suddenly mm-hmm. he's a prominent character. Like maybe... Maybe they are going to try to squeeze in a little bit of fake Targaryen intrigue to hmm. also to kind of because because the other thing is like with all the fake Targaryens running around, it also um, has this it, it, in the book reader's mind. It 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 is something that also introduced the fact that John is a secret Targaryen. You know, like you hint that maybe Tyrion's hmm. a secret Targaryen, yep. that maybe this Aegon Targaryen is actually either a fake Targaryen or he's it, it's the latest version of the Blackfires trying like he's a Blackfire Targaryen. They're trying to get their illegitimate branch on the throne. Um, I, man, it just seems crazy to try to get in with only eight episodes to go. But the double. I, I mean, has has there been any mention of that character in the show? Really? No. I mean, I, I don't about, even mean the fake one, like the real one. Yeah, I mean the the like when Oberyn is listing the crimes of the mountain, he talks about the mm. fact that he kind of raped his sister to death and and smashed their children's heads. And I think Aegon was mentioned there. Hmm. Okay. Um, by name, and I, that's that's always kind of like my my litmus test like if it's possible can you within five seconds have a clip of someone notable saying this person so you would know Mm -hmm. and at the best i think they can maybe get over and talking about this kid's getting his brain smashed a jelly by the mountain and i don't know how do you ever prove that he's a fake targaryen though because there's only one other targaryen roaming around get maury pavich out there to do a dna (laughs) test and (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's the thing. Like, he could claim he's Aegon, and that'd be the end of it, essentially. Like, he becomes Aegon de facto. I mean, there's a crazy theory that I read the season before you started joining me on these spoiler editions uh-huh. where that, that goes that Illyrio is like an old Blackfire Targaryen, and Varys is actually not a eunuch man. He's his wife. And what? that Aegon is their son, and that they, like, you know, <laughs> that, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that that and there you're gonna the the reveal of this is gonna be uh, Aegon getting his hands on the actual ancestral blade of the Targaryens, Blackfire, and it's gonna prove that he's a Blackfire Targaryen, and it's gonna and then there's there's also a lot more like there's prophecies in Danny where 
you know, she she in the House of the Undying, she sees this like mummer's dragon, which is essentially like a the, uh, a puppet dragon or a fake dragon, like a prop dragon you'd see in like a medieval style play mm-hmm. um, that causes like you know this the, the all these false banners to raise and and it's like one of the threats to her um, in the in this vision that she gets. So sometimes I, I feel like Aegon's only purpose is to literally check a box of a prophecy, like Quentin Martell. Uh, you don't. This is another book only thing. He's yeah. that was the the culmination of Prince Doran's plot that he had had worked out in secret this deal with John Connington that they're going to marry his son Tristane to Danny, hmm. and then Doran would support the Targaryens when they came back to to Essos uh, or to Westeros to 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 win the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of me thinks that Quentin only existed in the story to check off one of Danny's prophecies, which is Miri Mazdura says. You know, you'll eventually be able to have children, and Dro- Drogon, Drogo will come back, and you'll get everything you want when the sun rises in the west and sets in the east. And Quentin Martell, whose house symbol is a, a sun, literally went from west to east to go gotcha. meet with her in Essos. Like, yeah. and then he got burnt to death by the dragons, and nothing came of it. But prophecy checkbox, <laughs> ching, done. Yeah, and I'm know, trying to think what is the purpose of when the, of Aegon in the when story. the mountains turn to dust. The mountain was killed by Oberon. Check, <laughs> right? When the seas blow away. Oh, the Dothraki Sea is dying because of winter and it's turning brown mm. and it's le- like oh check. Like that's like sometimes some of this stuff is literally just so that all the prophecies work. Right. Um, so what's the purpose of the fake Aegon storyline in the books? I know we're not done with them, so it's we one don't of the really that keeps know. Keeps George but... from finishing the books. Yeah, he's got thirty of these things up in the air, and he can't let any of them hit the ground. That's the thing. So, or if... he'll get all the shit we're giving the double D's right now for jetpacking. Yeah, <laughs> if it's there to like say, hey, there are fake Targaryens floating around, or maybe potentially other Targaryens out there. Right. We've kind of already gotten to that in the show, right? The Tower yeah. of Joy scene tells us that exactly. So, I don't think that would be a necessary plot point to hit to yeah. introduce a character like fake Aegon. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I don't think like like the Valonqar prophecy, it's not in the show, but yeah. It would blo- it would shock me if whoever ends up killing Cersei doesn't fit the Valonqar mold mm-hmm. because presumably the books on the show will be Aegon yeah. and and Tristan and and, and Quentin um some of this stuff doesn't seem like it's necessary because mm-hmm. the characters aren't in the show and the prophecies aren't in the show and all those plot lines have been simplified. Yeah. But it's my guess. My, my ears perked way up when I heard the mention of Golden Company in, in conjunction with invading Westeros. Yeah. Um so I don't know. Maybe it'll just be like the Golden Company comes over and after they declare for Cersei they're all like, fuck you, we're Targaryen we're uh-huh. Blackfire because cause there's um there's a line in the books where someone's asking, like, Illyrio, like, why the fuck would the Golden Company back Danny? Because they're Blackfires. And and Illyrio's like, oh, you know, Red Dragon, Black Dragon, they're just all dragons. Like, they just want to go home, right? They don't even Whatever. give a shit. <laughs> yeah, wh- who, you got you got real dragons. They're all about the real dragons. Like, there's not hmm. – and maybe it'll be, like, they'll, they'll have that plot point. It's like um, that scene – what was that scene in, like, Braveheart where you think, like, this Irish army's coming to – like supplement the forces of Longshanks and they all declare for, mm-hmm. you know, William Wallace because he's got that drunk Irish Jesus Christ on his side. <laughs> right. It'll be like right. that. They're like, eh, we're fucking Targs. Fuck you, yeah. Baratheon, Lannisters. I don't know. Okay. 
Uh, so that's all my bullshit that I want to talk about. Uh, let us get to the listeners. Hey, everybody. I want to tell you about how you can support the Bald Move at club.baldmove.com. Uh, you go there, and you sign up for it, and you get some special features. We added a fun one. There's a series we do called The Empire Business, which harkens back to our uh, origins as a, a ball, uh, as a Breaking Bad podcast. Uh, what we do is we talk. We kind of like go behind the scenes about what it's like to be in a podcast startup. We talk finances. We talk advertising. We talk business plans. And we had a fun opportunity that David Chin, um, one of the co-hosts of A Cast of Kings, uh, one of the, the 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 mega popular Game of Thrones podcasts right now with uh, Joanna Robinson, uh, he came on and we talked to like the nitty gritty of business and he kind of interviewed us and we kind of interviewed him about like our different philosophies and our different forms of support. We had a nice conversation. If you like that behind the scenes stuff, you get that kind of bonus content when you join the club. Uh, we also have little shows we do like Quit Your Pitching where we. Pitch fake TV shows to each other. We've got video feeds of all the podcasts as we record it. It's the fastest way you can actually enjoy our podcasts. Uh, we have ad free feeds, so you never have to listen to me drone on and on about some bullshit that you got to support or buy. Uh, you got VIP access to forums, first run bald movies, tons and tons of extra content. Uh, so if you can't get enough, uh, you can do that. And most importantly, it supports Bald Move because we couldn't do any of this stuff without the generous support from our listeners. So go to club.baldmove.com, sign up today. Uh, help us help us keep on keeping on and we appreciate in advance any support you give us uh, as always you can send an email to game of thrones at baldmove.com try to run the feedback gauntlet and make it on the show uh, kelsey t with all the recent talk about jamie cersei and the valencar prophecies potentially coming to fruition in the show um, it had me thinking about the other options in a recent episode several times previously yara specifically calls theon a little brother could Theon be the one to finally kill Cersei and end things to consider? The show and the books have spent a lot of time on Theon relative to how his story has panned out in the grand scheme so far. The increased screen time this season may indicate his importance is rising. Uh, I'll take a contra opinion of that, that the reason his star is rising is because for, you know, uh, against all odds, Euron is is pivotal to the plot. Uh-huh. So you got to have the, these, these gray joys are all being drugged to prominence because it's, you know, Euron's mm. going to be some big thing. Okay. Um, second point, Cersei slash the Lannister slash King Robert are responsible for Theon being shipped off to Winterfell as a child, losing most of his surrogate family in the Starks, particularly his figurative older brother, Rob and the Boltons governing the North and therefore his torture and tra- therefore transformation into reek. Um, I have a big problem at that point because, yeah, sure, King Robert put down the Greyjoy Rebellion, so he did, was responsible for Theon being shipped off to Winterfell, but Theon's got no one but himself to blame for losing a surrogate family to Starks. He literally stabbed them in the back to support his father. Mm -hmm. So I don't know about all that. And finally, the prophecy uses the word rap about the, the 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 fingers around Cersei's throat, potentially referencing the Greyjoy Kraken wrapping its tentacles around the lion's neck. Um, Euron being close to Cersei this season could easily allow Theon to come back into the fold, perhaps to try to redeem himself to save Yara, killing Uncle Euron and Cersei in the process. Uh, what do you think about Theon, the Oof. identity of Theon being the little brother? I, I just don't think it's like thematically satisfying or, or narratively satisfying right like what connection does he have to cersei and that's the thing like that would be important this is borderline prophetically satisfying uh-huh. but since the show has no prophecy you're left with it's got to be to me the valencar you have to consider it's got to fit the prophecy 
because the prophecies in the book, and to the extent that the identities line up, they should line up. But it also has to make thematic sense. Mm-hmm. Because without, if you don't have the prophecy, then all you got is like, well, this actually hangs together as a coherent narrative, right? Right. And Theon, like, he's definitely got the means and probably the motive. Like, you know, he's often like, oh, we got to go rescue my sister. So he'll be in proximity to Cersei and Euron. But mm-hmm. Theon's such a little pissant that if he kills Cersei, it would be, in my book, anticlimactic. Yeah. Same here. I, I'm really hoping it's someone who either means more to Cersei if anyone does right or where Cersei means more to them right um, personally right like that that's more satisfying but I don't I don't know if they're going for satisfying on this or if they're going for shocking or if they're going for disappointing intentionally I (laughs) I don't know man (laughs) yeah um yeah I I agree uh I just it it's it's anytime you stray around uh, anyway anytime you stray from the like the most popular theories there always runs into problems like okay well that mm-hmm. makes prophetic sense but it doesn't like you know who is Theon to Cersei who is Cersei to Theon and yeah I mean it would be I guess a triumphant moment for him because you know Cersei's probably the most hated character other than perhaps Euron at this point yeah um you know like the Boltons are gone and. I, would, I mean, Joffrey's maybe gone. if I want to stretch and say he might do it for Sansa, like, I don't know. That yeah. seems like a bit of a stretch, though. I would go for Jamie because of personal connection yeah. or the little yeah. girl who's been praying about killing her since season two. <laughs> okay. Those are my yeah. those are my 1A, 1B. Um, or Tyrion. Tyrion can Tyrion, but that's it. that's what I, – I almost don't want it to be Tyrion because that's what Cersei expects. Yeah. Um, I don't think she ever would expect Jamie. Now, I mean, it could be satisfying to just watch Tyrion throttle the shit out of her. Yeah. Um, so, like, as I and and you, and this other things you never know. Like, okay, let's say it's Theon, and I'm saying, well, it's going to be anticlimactic. I have no idea. By the time they write it, by the time they shoot it, by the time Alfie Allen and uh, you know uh, Lena uh, Hedy go at it, like maybe it would be something awesome. Mm-hmm. But I, I just I'm not, I'm not seeing it right now. Uh, let's move on. Josh F. says, um, Howlin Reed, because I said that Howlin Reed has not actually been called out on the show. He said, Howlin Reed actually is pointed out in Brand Season 6 Tower of Joy Vision. He's actually one of the uh, only ones of Ned's party who is named in the scene. Hmm. Brand specifically says, that's Howlin Reed, Mira's father. Oh, okay. So that, so, so the, my, my thing is, like, can you introduce a character? And I've got this litmus test of whether you can previously on it. Well, Bran pointing to someone and saying, that's Howlin' Reed, Mira's father, is probably satisfies that rule. And then some other actor needs to step on the screen and say, I'm Howlin' Reed. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, if, and then and you connect the dots. Exactly. Yeah. Because we know Mira. I mean, they could even go back and show Mira and Jojen swearing loyalty on behalf of Howlin' Reed, mm-hmm. which in, in, in season two, I'm pretty sure they did. Um, so, yeah, I I don't think Howlin' Reed's necessary. Um, and now that we know Bran knows and he's already in Winterfell, it seems like that's that's the main contra about the Howland because he's just a he'd be an unnecessary element of the plot that doesn't need to be worked out. How, how about Mira? Where do you, what do you think is Mira's going from here? So she's on her way out of Winterfell, but it, is she on her way out of the plot? Out of the story? No, I do. I really still do think that she's going to be vital to getting Bran an injection of humanity hmm. when he needs it most. Okay. 
Um, I don't know what that'll look like because she has no talent that we've seen for green seeing or warging. If she's going back to her family, then that would lead her out of the plot. But like it, it, it would not sit right with me if this is the last we see of her. Hmm. Because it was like, you know, I know that's part of the plot point. The brand was kind of relatively cold and unappreciative, but damn, that doesn't seem a payoff (laughs) for the character for, for me as a viewer, you know, Mm -hmm. Sherry S I haven't read any of the books, but I've listened to some of your spoiler casts after season six ended. And I don't think I've heard you mention anything about this, uh, before, but is there any significance to the fact that baby Sam is the brother of the white walkers? Is he special in the same way that Melisandre found the King's blood special? I've always wondered why Sam has been dragging Gilly and baby Sam around with him when plot-wise it would seem more convenient to have them elsewhere. This question is probably ridiculous, but I've always been curious about it. Well, hey, come on. He loves him. He, he loves him. He wants to be with him. Uh, he doesn't want to just abandon them up north. Right. That's one reason to drag him along. Uh, but that that's an interesting point. I guess he would be the brother of, of at least one white of all walking the, uh, something of all the right? craster like, white walker yeah. bastard babies he's he shares blood with them that's interesting right right my question is like do are we seeing like a uh, a white walker baby when we see like a spiky headed white walker on the screen hmm. like do they grow up super fast or do they take hundreds of years right. to mature into what they the, the right. horse riding version you know right right I don't know anything about that. I don't know if that baby is maybe out there on screen and we're just not knowing it because it's a grown up. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, technically it would have blood and, and maybe, you know, that's why they're taking Craster's babies is it's, it's some blood thing where that's kind of blow important. your mind. I don't know if this will blow your mind. Oh, this is a book detail. I haven't shared with you. No, no. So in the books, uh, you know, Sam brings Gilly back. She's got Craster's bastard baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, and simultaneously, Mance comes north of the wall, and uh, he's got a son that is the same age of uh, Gilly's baby. He swaps him. And John is so afraid that Melisandre is going to get, going to want to sacrifice that baby for the power of its king's blood because Mance is Mance's the king. baby? Okay. Mance is the king by the royal. That John decides when he sends Gilly away with Sam that he's going to swap babies. So he keeps. I got Gilly's a better solution baby. for you, John. Send Melisandre away. <laughs> well, at How the time, <laughs> at the time, Stannis is kind of garrisoning the oh, wall, okay. and yeah, like yeah. John's kind of like in the situation where, much. you know, the only power I have over Stannis is his general respect of this institution. Yeah, and if it comes between him getting his king's blood that his witch woman needs, in mm-hmm. my word, it's you know, it's not going to go well for me. Sorry, I interrupted you. So he does what? So in the books. You know, you've got Sam and Gilly with this baby with royal's blood, and you know Sherry's asking me whether this baby with royal bl- or like some kind of blood connection. I almost wonder if since since these characters have kind of been like that that it's like whatever whatever happens with Sam's baby and whatever with Mance's baby in the book, it's possible that both of these characters have been rolled into Sam's child. So I actually think that lends Sherry's theory more support. I've never okay. thought of it, but huh. like. It is cool that, like, yes, this baby has a shared connection to both royalty, to the others, and, like, and that's interesting because the connection to royalty is in the books, not the show. The connection to others in the show, not the books yet. Oh, okay. Right, because we haven't seen the, we in the books, we haven't seen the scene where right. they t- take this baby and touches the cheek, it, it cracks huh. into ice, and eyes turn blue, and it turns into other. So, 
Uh, maybe not as ridiculous as you think, Sherry. Mm-hmm. I just want to just just drop that how the the books in the show might be converging there a bit. Mike from Louisiana. I think it's highly doubtful that Germ will finish his last two novels. Can either one of you envision a situation where he sells the intellectual property to a company or publishing house and another author finishes the series and possibly beyond? If this occurred, would you be satisfied? I bring this up because George Lucas completely fell off the rails with the Star Wars prequel trilogy and Disney took it off his hands and they are taking the series to awesome places. Maybe A Song of Ice and Fire slash Game of Thrones is now beyond Germ's ability, time, or interest – if that is the case, someone else should continue the work. I don't think in his lifetime he would sell it. He seems even like in the last year or two to be dead set against doing the like Brian Sanderson route. Yeah. Like just farm this here's my here's my plot outlines, un untie my Gordian knot. Right. And bring this thing home. He it doesn't want to like, Robert Jordan it. <laughs> yeah, like because – I mean, we could sit and psychoanalyze George Martin all day long, mm-hmm. but I think, and the, the 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 key thing that I think of George Martin since the like like the this, this first three books, you know, Game of Thrones, Storm of Swords, Clash of Kings, uh, I think the key thing that you could say is that he's delusional about his writing ability. Because you know, when HBO made this deal in two thousand seven, he's like, oh yeah, I'll have the next book out. And then the oh, next the, two the will just come right out. And, like, and he's been like, even in season three, he's like, I feel confident that I'll be able to outpace the series. Like he just, I, I just, I, I, yeah. So when he says, I, you know, as long as I draw breath, I'm not going to give this to another author. Or even beyond that, he's like, you know, like I won't even let like my estate sail this off. I feel like he means it because he just, in his mind, is still going to bring this thing to an epic conclusion. Yeah, no, his it's interesting age, though because his health, all that be damned, he's going to do it. I do know that he he's also said he feels some kind of responsibility, like an obligation at this point, to write the best possible version of these books. He and did. yeah, and he might not get there just from a time perspective, but like once you're dead and That's the what I'm books saying. aren't written, <laughs> uh-huh. how how could you say nobody else ever touched this? I want to leave this work unfinished, as right. opposed to. Having a conclusion, whatever that conclusion is. Yeah. I mean, yeah. How about, how about this? You leave a clause in your will that says, uh-huh. when the next fantasy author to write three to five number one best-selling New York Times hits comes along, let them do it. Right. Like, they get the reins. Right. Whoever can pry the keep my, my laptop with WordPerfect version 7 out of my fingers <laughs> of my corpse will be the next author of The Song of Ice Fire. I, I don't know. It's, it's the thing is, is it seems like he'll have to have a change of heart, which may or may happen. Uh, he'll have to go to his grave, not finishing the books, and then, as it stands, like one of his descendants would have to crack, yeah, under the pressure of Disney giving them two billion dollars or something. Right now, that last one is likely, but I don't know how I'd feel about it. Uh huh. I mean, I, on the other hand, it's like I'm I'm a secular atheist, so dead people don't give a shit. Like it doesn't it really doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. However, I'm also sentimental enough that I do think you should respect someone's last wishes if if you respect them and their legacy. Sure. So, yeah. like as a fan of George Martin and the Song of Ice and Fire, I don't know how I'd feel about just a, a you know like a theoretical you know blood relative that does. I don't think Martin has kids. Does he? I don't know. I don't know anything about his personal life. He's married. He lives in Colorado. He does. He has a theater. Hmm. He doesn't write hardly at all. He has a swimming pool. I know that much. He, he doesn't average a chapter a, a month. 
Um, no. <laughs> so I yeah I, I I don't know I I I have mixed feelings about it either way. I can't uh, imagine like oh man if he has has it in his will that you can never sell this thing. Right. A I don't know how that holds up yeah. because eventually Disney's wishes be damned copyright will expire on this thing. Right. And somebody's gonna finish it. Yeah. Um. The the other thing is if you really wanted to screw people and say, uh, it, it's like. Okay, there's a clause in my will that says uh, my estate can't sell this. Mm-hmm. That'd be like there's a clause in my will that says if I don't finish this before I die, J.K. Rowling gets it or something. <laughs> like, I mean, but why, why are you laughing? That seems like both things you could do in a will. Right? No, you could totally do okay. it, but it's like just this fuck you to the fans. Like, the, oh, I the see. Fans you think want the fans a conclusion would be to this. outraged at J.K. Okay, I'm yeah, not even sure can, that's true. Really? You think they would want the Harry Potter author finishing I mean, these Rowling's books? Written other things than Harry Potter. I know, but. Seems like under pseudonym, sure, but hmm. I don't know. Maybe you I would go like maybe that. you go with uh, to Twilight. Like if you wanted to really yeah. do like Twilight, there you yeah. Go. Like I, Stephanie Myers, Myers is the yeah. only one that can really tell the beautiful, <laughs> right. intricate song of ice and, and fire. And then it's just like this fucking ticking time bomb, right? <laughs> like <laughs> as soon as I die, she gets the reins, right. Right. Finish these books, George. Yeah, you've got like millions of fans donating to keep his lifeless husk on life support because as long as uh-huh. his heart's beating, you can't have it, Myers. And he signs a "Do Not Resuscitate." It's like <laughs> it's a shit show. It's a Game of Thrones. It would be trolling. Maybe the entire world. Maybe that's his actual magnum opus. He wants to create like this Game of Thrones <laughs> war of the five authors over his yeah. deathbed. Yeah, yeah. Because there's going to be a scramble. If for he it. chokes on pork. Then, then uh, I'm gonna say uh, if that's how he dies, and I'm I'm gonna I'm if gonna he's be murdered as hell. at a dinner by Brandon Sanderson, <laughs> right, right, yep. his throat slit. Yep, I wanna like if yeah, I'm gonna I wanna see where Nick Nikolai was. You know, what is he sleeping with his wife? Like, what's what, there's everyone's a suspect at that point. Yep. Oh. <sighs> All right, George, let's just finish it before you... Can you can you do that for us all? That would make all these questions moot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Olaf W., just listened to your spoiler podcast last week where you're talking about John having the rest of Stannis' fleet. He also must have the Manderley fleet, which is presumably quite intact. If the Manderleys is anything similar to the books, uh, he should they should have a good amount of ships, and Lord Manderley is currently present at Winterfell. So, book background, uh, before Rob died, one of the things he ordered, the, the, the Manderleys is actually a southern house from a few centuries ago that uh, was driven out of the south for some political reason. They backed, hmm. maybe they, they, they backed a wrong horse in one of the Blackfire Rebellions. I, I don't have that at my fingertips, and I tried to retrieve it, and my brain said, fuck you, pal. Um, you got too much perfume shinshal information in there, had to squeeze it out. Uh, but they they are um, they're the wealthiest house of the north. They own White Harbor, which is like a big shipping hub, and they also have uh, the largest fleet. Huh. And before Rob died, he ordered them to start building. Like hey, we're going to need a navy to make this war work. Let's let's build it up. And Manderley has been building this 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 big fleet in secret. Would you say a thousand ships, perhaps uh, could, up to a thousand <laughs> ships that he's been building uh, in in kind of semi semi secrecy as part of like huh. you know this is this goes back to the whole Grand Northern conspiracy theory. Uh, none of that's true in the books, and like or none, none of that's true. I'm sorry, none of that's true yeah. in the show, and like. If it turns out that some northern lord just comes up riding the John and says, I've got 500 ships that I've been building because your brother told me to, like, yeah, 
especially on the back of Euron, it's already kind of started breaking people's suspension of disbelief. I just don't think it's going to happen, man. Mm-hmm. And and now in the books, I imagine it would be a part of something, but I, in the show, they just fucking don't care. Like, uh, how many guys we got? Oh, about a ten thousand. How many boats we got? Oh, about a thousand. How many Dothraki got? About a hundred. Everything's just like whole numbers and yeah. very loosey goosey. And I, I don't see it happening, Olaf. Don't see it happening. Uh, Chris G. I've heard a few thing, times that the Mad King might have taken liberties, quote-unquote, with Joanna Lannister on her and Tywin's wedding night, thus resulting in Tyrion the Targaryen. However, Jaime and Cersei are older than Tyrion. Wouldn't that conception have resulted in the older siblings? This would explain their incestuous relationship that is common with Targaryens and possibly Cersei's use of wildfire. Um. Okay, so there's a lot of things going on here. Number one... Of course there's a theory that says that Jamie and Cersei are the illegitimate children of uh, the Mad King Aerys Targaryen and Joanna Lannister. Yes. Oh, Yes. Okay. That's a whole other branch of crazy theory, all right? Awesome. But there's a lot more to this. And, and what's interesting is that George threw a lot of gas on the fire when he wrote the World of uh, Ice and Fire Encyclopedia because he wrote a lot of these words himself. Um, others were like his notes that people kind of fleshed out and put in the in-universe kind of style. But he goes out of his way to mention, to reaffirm the many rumors of these liberties that were taken on uh, the, the, the wedding night of Joanna Lannister. But they also mentioned the fact that the, the Mad Queen, or the Mad King's Queen, took Joanna Lannister as like, her personal retainer, or her lady-in-waiting. And uh, she was then dismissed from her service without any explanation given. Um, so a lot of people, part of this theory is it's not that, uh, Eris, like, necessarily raped Joanna, but it's more that they actually had some sort of a love affair going that spanned this course of several years, might have even predated Tywin. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, they also mentioned that, that Joanna Lannister, like, she would, she rarely made appearances in King's Landing after she got dismissed. But the 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 world of ice and fire also mentions that she did make an appearance at King's Landing, the rare Joanna Lannister appearance at King's Landing, where Eris talked a whole bunch of shit about how her breasts have gone to shit because she breastfed her twins. Jesus. And a year later, Tyrion shows up. Okay. So the story goes is that uh, Mad King Eris negged her. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, had her feeling bad about her bo- about her, her about her boobies, mm-hmm. uh, if I can use a technical term, and then use that to jump in bed with her one last time, and then Tyrion is born. Hmm. Like I said, there, and, and 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 the question is like you know I explored with Kim last week on the podcast is if it was never intended or it's impossible for Tyrion to be a secret Targaryen, why is George going out of his way to make sure these timelines could, could line up for this theory? Is it all smoke? Is it camouflage? Is it a red herring? Um, is it something that he thought about in the first draft of Game of Thrones and then later abandoned because he's like, shit, too many secret Targaryens? Well, there'll be 20 secret Targaryens in the final version. Yeah. Who knows? But it is... It, it, you're 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 right and you're wrong, Chris. Uh, the timing lines up for Jamie and Cersei, but also George has has backwards made the timeline fit for Tyrion too. And you got to ask why. While we're kind of uh, you know talking about George Martin and uh, whether or not he's going to write these books, do you feel like he's maybe doing kind of the hardest core fans a service by doing all this other writing in the meantime? Like when he's putting out these books, they're sort of ancillary to the main story of Game of Thrones or A Song of Ice and Fire. Yeah. Do you think that's his idea of like, I'm going to service the hardest core of fans by filling in some blanks, by giving them more juice for speculation? 
Um, if that's his thought, I mean, is that satisfying I, in any I way don't to you? I think it's as... working because like no. it seems like a, a 99% of the fans, whatever he announces, he's like, – like there is a lot of uproar. Like I think people – they have a love hate relationship with this world of ice and fire. And on one hand, it's it's an awesome resource for world building. And, right. Uh, but on the other hand, like George wrote, like I don't know, thirty thousand words for it, and he's editing this other pod, these things, yeah. and he's doing these anthologies and stuff that has nothing to do with a song of ice and fire. That like, and you also got to ask yourself, like, you know, in between Empire Strikes Back and. <laughs> And Return of the Jedi, George said, hey, I'm going to do the Star Wars Christmas special. I'm going to do the fucking Ewok ABC special. I'm going to do Tales <laughs> Right, but those Mount- are all terrible the, examples of, of but cinema. What, what, what I'm saying is, like, I don't think that anyone would be – and that's the other thing is, like, I like Dunkin' Egg for what it is, but it ain't mm-hmm. no fucking Game of Thrones. I, I mean, I it's look no at Song it and I say, and I wonder if he's not trying to create, you know, this larger work – um, that's more epic and spans more centuries and more of a story before he kind of puts a cap on Game of Thrones or A Song of Ice and Fire and says, because he, he runs the risk if he finishes the book of losing everybody else, right? Like, right. okay, we're done with this story. Now let's move on to the next thing. Right. Maybe while he's got him, he's trying to create this larger fiction. Yeah, I mean, I agree that I think the the problem is the more he writes about this world and the more like the, the more chains are on him because these are things are now immutable canon and cannot be changed. Sure. Like if he just told yeah. the damn story and then elaborated, but now by elaborating, he's further limiting what he can do and what the fans expectations are. So that's true. Like, it could be a possible motivation. I'm saying it doesn't seem like it's working. Like yeah. none of the fans would be like, yeah, we would trade all the Dunkin' <laughs> Egg shit and all the World of Ice and Fire and all the cookbook of Westeros for yeah. Winds of Winter right now and also our firstborn children right now. So mm-hmm. um, anyway, let's move on to Hagu P. In the last episode, you discussed if Jamie slash Olena's widow's wail was a foreshadowing moment. In my opinion, Jamie killing Cersei would not qualify, but Jamie making Cersei a widow again by killing her husband Euron would. You don't tug on Superman's cape and you don't get too many too good hands and finger in the butt jokes to someone like Jamie Lannister. Yeah, but they'd have to win the war for that to become a reality, right? And I don't see them winning this war. Yeah. Yeah, or wait, maybe Cersei gets desperate. Like after yeah. this reversal, like Euron's like, "You're in no position to make me wait." And okay, they get married. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like I, yeah, I don't know about all this. I do think that I'm because that's the thing with the double D's. Is sometimes like I like the double D's. I think they're pretty good showrunners. Uh, mm-hmm. They're really good at, at adaptationists, but sometimes they're a little simplistic in that. So I, these jokes at Jamie's expense might just be to get us to hate Euron. Sure. And there's no going to be yeah. like like it's not on Jamie's radar that he has to fucking defend his sister's honor from Euron mm-hmm. or something like that. So sometimes these things can just like you know like you know what uh, Braun had this weird love affair with the bad pussy. Uh-huh. And people were thinking, like, oh, this season, that's going to, oh, Braun's going to, and oh, they're going to be on two sides of the war, and what's it going to, didn't mean shit. That nope. was just a sh- shitty, like, the, some of the shittiest writing you've ever seen just for a bad pussy joke. She's still alive, though. Maybe he's going to go in from the dungeons and save her or something. Oh. oh. She's the one left. That would be funny if she's, like, <laughs> on her death door, and he rides in and gives right. her some kind of true love's kiss. Antidote, that's because he's got yeah. the antidote, on, the chapstick on his lips. <laughs> right. Don't he think comes it's out with Jim the, Jones. the big pink lips, like Cersei style. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, all you want is my hot lips. <laughs> and I just want your bad puss. I don't know. Yeah. I don't like it. No, I, I like never it. liked it. Still don't. Uh, all right. Kate from Sydney. As you well know, Germ has inspired, been inspired by a lot of historical events when writing A Song of Ice and Fire. But one historical period's influence is more pronounced than others. Are you guys ready? We're going to talk about the War, War of the, the Roses. Roses. Yep. Uh, the conflict between the House of York and the House of Lancaster in 15th century England. The parallels are obvious, Starks and Lannisters, but if you look at the conclusion, there might be a hint to how Gurm could draw inspiration for the bittersweet ending of the series that he's always teased. Mm. Looking at where the pieces in the Game of Thrones currently stand, John and Danny may need a way to reunite. Uh, we all know that alliances are often cemented by marriage, but John and Danny related, they might need to take a look at other marriage options. What better option than the marriage that already exists and was referenced in episode 3 between Tyrion and Sansa? The War of the Roses ended with a new house to Tudors, arising from the ashes of both houses and famously forming a new house sigil that combined the white and red roses of York and Lancaster houses. Hmm. Could the bittersweet ending see Tyrion and Sansa ruling together, uniting the north and the south after everyone else falls in battle? Uh, it also fits with the germ-loving Tyrion the most because it's the closest character to himself. I... I I don't I always thought Sam was the Mary Sue for Gurm. Tyrion's mm-hmm. like <laughs> trying to fly too close to the sun. Um, huh. So I actually thought that was pretty thought provoking because it seems harder and harder for me to believe that the two main heroes of A Song of Ice and Fire thus far are going to make it through unscathed or even alive at all. Mm-hmm. And it would also be cool that like. Sansa and Tyrion, who have been groomed for leadership the most, well, I mean, uh, you know, uh, uh, putting aside Danny and John, officially, officially, yeah, it would be kind of, yeah. it would be kind of cool for them to. Now, I wonder how they would like, like you know, the red and white roses of the land. That's it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, how would you combine the wolf and the the lion? Are they just a wolf with a big flowing blonde mane? <laughs> That's the sigil. <laughs> the house words is the seed is. Not so strong. Um, <laughs> do you think that uh, another T-shirt idea? There you go. Another T-shirt. Wolf with the blonde wig. The seed. <laughs> not so strong. Um, what do you? Oh man. Uh, I, now I'm seeing like with the perfect because you know like look at the like whatever the 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 queen's shield. It's like a lion and a unicorn like prancing on a something. Like why couldn't uh. the lion and the wolf be like kind of like both? Both like prancing on a larger shield that represents all of Westeros, or right, or the constitutional monarchy that Sansa and Tyrion will will yeah, establish. What's, what's the universal symbol for constitutional monarchy? It's, it's, a, it's a golden crown with prestige coming off of it. I guess so. Uh, I like it though. I like it. Yeah, I I really I do think either it, it, it really goes back to the War of the Roses roots too. It does. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Um, but I could also see you know that Tudor sort of thing applying to Danny and John coming together um, and saying, okay, we're no longer like Targaryen or Stark or Snow right. or whatever. We're going to form this new new sigil, this new house. Yeah. Again, going back to the War of the Roses, then that gets away from the Yorks and Lancasters because mm-hmm. now you've got this other Targaryen that is not a, a York or a – but, I mean, that's just things like – just because it's based on the War of the the Roses does not mean it's it's like you know obviously there's no shadow babies in the War of the Roses. Sure, yeah, no uh, dragons, no dragons that I can that I can recall. Uh huh. So, but it's a uh, that's that's uh, there were whites super though. solid there, Kate. There were yeah. a lot of whites, white always, walkers, always. Yeah, yeah the, you got to watch those bears. Even today, 
and uh, you, you get off the beaten path in England, you go, you come across a barrel right, ruin your day. Yep. Ruin your day. Uh, werewolves, too. Mm-hmm. I saw a documentary about that once. Yeah. Uh, about uh, some American lads that had a mix-up with some of those guys, and it, it just went bad, went poorly for them. Mm-hmm. Gabe in Boulder Ke- Creek, Colorado. Can you guys explain to me exactly who owned the dagger that was used by the cat's paw to kill Bran? I know Joffrey supposedly hired the assassin to impress his quote-unquote dad, but I don't remember who actually owned it before. Was it Littlefinger or Tyrion's, and how did Joffrey come to be in possession of it? Boy, you made me do a shit ton of research here with this uh, question, Gabe. I have uh, the same question, so I'm glad it came up. Okay. So, the actual factual history, as far as I can tell, is that King Robert won the dagger from Peter Baelish during the tourney uh, on uh, Joffrey's birthday. Uh, okay. So, the problem is the chain of custody that you go through here. Um, because, and, and we know, like, cause there's some people remembering that like Robert was during the feast after the tournament, he was like cutting his meat and showing off the, and like, you know, teasing Littlefinger about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and what also muddies the water is that, that Littlefinger himself tried to implicate Tyrion because he was fomenting chaos so he could climb up them, 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 uh, rungs of, of power. But the chain of custody goes that like, so Peter had it and how he got it, not sure, but that's where it enters the story. Uh, Robert wins it off of a bet. Uh, uh, Littlefinger tried to make it seem like Tyrion. Uh, he won it from from Tyrion because he bet against his brother Jaime uh, and Sir and and he he uh, he bet Sir Loras to win. And Jaime, in I think the second book, when he's talking to Cat Stark about it, he's like, "Yeah, sure, I threw your bro- I threw your son out the window, but." Tyrion would never bet against me in any fucking duel, especially for Sir Loras, which is the first uh-huh. kind of piece of doubt that's cast on it. Um, and then Tyrion is, is simultaneously investigating this, and there's several other conversations, like Jamie and Cersei talk about it, and Tyrion wonders about it, and then Tyrion goes and, and talks to Jamie about it. And since we know that Robert owns it, the thing that everyone the the thing that Tyrion, Jamie, and Cersei seem to agree on is that. Joffrey overheard Cersei and Robert talking about what a shame it was that Bran is going to live his life as this vegetable, and that if we gave animals the mercy that we get, if we gave men the the mercy that we show towards animals, that they'd put the kid out of his misery, and that Joffrey stole the blade from uh, uh, Robert's personal collection. Gave it, hired this cat's paw to go and try to assassinate Bran because he thought that he's always, you know, Joffrey uh, was insecure among his many other uh, failings, mm-hmm. and probably being Robert being his dad didn't help out with that either. Um, but he was trying to impress him, like, "Hey, I'm, I'm going to do the difficult thing that no one wants to do here, Dad." Hmm. Uh, that's what Jamie thinks. That's what Cersei thinks. That's what Tyrion thinks. Um, but. That also would explain why Littlefinger is kind of like, Ugh, when when he's talking to Bran about it, because uh, the version that Littlefinger told is a big, giant lie. And the Tyrion had the dagger. The Tyrion had the yeah. dagger, and he, 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 like, arguably, cat seizing, well, I don't even think arguably, cat seizing Tyrion is probably the proximal cause of the War of the Five Kings. Okay. I mean, yeah. you could argue yeah. Cersei killing Ned, yeah. Robert, and Ned dying. Like, but yeah. but like the thing that really, I mean, that's what caused the Lannisters to take up arms. That's what's caused Rob to be crowned king of the North. Yeah, that's the thing that kind of was the straw that broke the camel's back. So, 
Um, that's the best I can do as far as a chain of, of custody. I, I don't, I mean, in the books, I don't know. There, there was a, a note that I found that I, uh, that, that, um, there's a scene where Littlefinger's got Sansa and he's, um, he, you know, he's, he's explaining that he's going to hide her and he's at his old family, the Baelish tower and the, and the, the littlest of the fingers. And I guess he's, uh, eating fruit and slicing fruit with this dagger. Hmm. I don't know how the hell he okay. got it back. Well, so that's where the chain of custody breaks be down. at Winterfell, right? Like I'm thinking, maybe he heard about Maester Lewin's records and was like, "Oh yeah, that knife is over there." Because doesn't he? He does do that, but isn't he, it but at Winterfell? He ha- last? Yeah, he has. Yeah, well, I mean, he gave it to Bran this episode, right? Right, but before that, wouldn't it have been at Winterfell? Well, maybe in the records, like because okay, who had it last? Shit, I don't because, remember because Cat had it. He she brought it to Ned. And I remember in the books, at least, Littlefinger's like, you should probably get rid of that because of reasons, which mm. is, you know, in retrospect, seems yeah. pretty self-serving. And I can't remember right. if if Ned actually absentmindedly handed it to him in the show. Hmm. I can't. That's the thing I'm not clear on. But I, okay. I, I mean, it's it's inco- incontrovertible that Littlefinger eventually got the blade back because he gives it to Absolutely. Brandis episode. Yeah. And now we're talking about shit that's way past the book, so I don't have mm. any like book details. Last I knew in the books, he's he's slicing fruit while he's talking this the Sansa in his in his his home. Now Arya has it, and now Arya has it, and isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. So there you go, Gabe, uh, Eduardo. Perhaps in an upcoming edition of your spoiler podcast, you could discuss the role and purpose of the Three Eyed Raven. I get that there's a Three Eyed Raven. He was destroyed by the Night's King. Now or the Night King. People really fucking get pissed when I call the Night King the Night's King because that's a separate mythological creature uh, I character, suppose possibly in this, related. In this podcast, that's appropriate, I guess. Right, yeah. and it's it's the 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 least fucked up thing my tongue will do this season. <laughs> I guarantee you. Anyway, uh, now that the brand now Bran is the Three Eyed Raven. All that being said, why does the Three Eyed Raven even exist? What is his role and purpose? Do the other characters even know a Three Eyed Raven exists now and historically? And what can he do? Any insights would be great. Unfortunately, Eduardo, uh, this is one of the big central mysteries still. Like, mm-hmm. um, we – in the books, Hodor is still alive, and Jojen is still alive, although there's a huh. big popular theory that in actuality Jojen dies of his this, this wasting sickness that he's come down with. It's and a secret Targaryen. And, and – <laughs> And uh, because he's a secret Targaryen, he's got that royal blood. The children of the forest feed a paste that they make out of Bran's body and blood oh, to – to, or I'm sorry, out of out of Jojen's body and blood to feed the Bran that awakens his like 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 it, it's oh. essentially uh, essentially quickens Bran's green seeing ability. Uh, so I there's 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 really not a lot to we know that uh, the three eyed ravens something that's old it's at least as old as brendan rivers which we're talking about over a century um there we're another big question is why if the 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 three-eyed raven is kind of a central thing with the children of the forest why isn't a child of the forest actually one Mm -hmm. the the three-eyed raven why is it this uh this this uh bastard targaryen uh sitting on the weirwood throne as it speaks uh is he you know, there's so many theories that take it and run with like, well, maybe he's actually the ultimate evil. Maybe, maybe he's actually working for the others. Even, the, but I have a problem with that because the children of forest, which seem like the oldest and most mystical race in all of Westeros, how in the hell would they be fooled? Yeah, because they are they they always seem to be the ones that are most on the anti other side. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
like everything I know about him from the books and the show uh, seems to suggest that he is like humanity's faithful servant against the others, the White Walkers. The old Thread Raven was bad at his job because if his job is to, uh, well, in as much as his job is to help protect the children of the forest, because right. they're all dead now, right. as far as we know. Um, uh, and, and, and the things he can do, we've right. seen on the screen, right? But like, we don't know, like, what is, how do the children of the forest look at it? Because it could be that they yeah. feel like they're, they're going to live forever through the Weirwoods, so, like, their corporal sure. existence is not as important. But we know that's kind of bullshit because at one point in their history, they cared enough about the corporal existence to create a race of mm-hmm. badass beings to try to kill all the first men to save their asses. Um, also, it's once also, you're a tree, you can't do much. <laughs> it's also interesting that the Three-Eyed Raven, like initially reached out to Bran mm-hmm. because Jojen is all, was already a more powerful green seer at the time and he could walk. Yeah. He didn't have to be drugged to the fucking cave of the three-eyed raven sure. by Jojen and Mira. So like if you're just wanting a powerful green seer, why not just beckon to Jojen and have him walk his ass up there? Mm-hmm. Um is it important that that Bran has a, a fairly unique ability that he can warg and green see? It also seemed like Jojen there it took a toll on Jojen. Right. Like, for his visions. He in would have seizures. That, his his physical body almost couldn't handle the in, power. In a way that, jo- that Bran, even though he's he's physically crippled, seems stronger to, yeah. to take. Right. Um, I don't know. Because, like, I think there's a line in the book that's like, you know, like, one out of a thousand men is a, is a warg, and one out of a thousand of those is a green seer. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, it's like, it's exceedingly rare to have the ability to warg and green seer. Yeah. Um, so... I don't. But that's and then the other question is like, well, if you put aside those, maybe the reason he took he appealed to Bran is because now that we're seeing that it looks like Bran is going to be the one to spill the beans about the fact that uh, John is this you know secret Targaryen and he's probably right. the prince that was promised and Azor High that the Three Eyed Raven wanted to make sure that he got the guy that would that would be in a position to most persuade John mm-hmm. and that he would believe him when he got this like revealed knowledge. Sure. Cause he's got, you know, he can see all possible timelines. Like that's, that's more speculation, but honestly, Eduardo, we don't, we don't really know this. These are some things that like our book readers are kind of, um, you know, playing, playing right along, right alongside of us, but we don't, it's not, you know, it's not even clear how far back does green seer tradition is this like is this one of the things that this, as soon as the first men and the children of the forest sealed their deal did like all right give us one of your dudes we're gonna plug him into the weirwood tree and we hey by the way we'll need one about every hundred years huh. i i don't know i don't know i mean fucking people forgotten why they built the wall at this stage we're talking way ancient history yeah all right move on uh bobby would it be the greatest troll of all time if Gurm came out with both winds and dream at the same time Maybe he's taking so long to write wins because he's actually been writing two uh, or more books. Um, <laughs> I feel like this is the bargaining stage yeah, of grief. Yeah. Uh, like, I mean, it would be <laughs> fucking awesome if he's, like, taking all this shit for the last three years and he just decided to release them as a double set. Uh-huh. Um, but that seems like pure wish fulfillment on, the, on, on, on behalf of us book readers at this point. There's yeah. no evidence to hint that, of that at all. And other, other than the fact that the fucker thought he was going to be done three years ago. He was yeah. three months away from being done three years ago, and he's gone essentially radio silent since. 
We've already established what the greatest troll would be with the Stephanie Myers thing. Yes. So. Yes. The, the, the barrier has now been raised, Bobby. Yeah. It would destroy – it would break the internet <laughs> if he just dropped it as a double blow. It would, like, yeah. Like right before season. Like, hey, you know, especially since we're not going to get Game of Thrones next. It's just like in the middle of the year. He's just like, boom, here's the final two books. Yeah. So it's, a, it's a double set. And, and all promises are met. I did – Right. I did complete them before. The, the, yeah. the Martins pay the, always repay their debts. <laughs> right. Uh, Fern from NYC, I have two question topics. Uh, what is known about the Raven system in the books? Is it a maesters only in castles capable of using it? Are there public Raven services? Side of the road Raven stations? Any thoughts on the cost of one message or a countersign and receipt or a failure rate of sent messages? That's another thing we don't... Mm-hmm. So... The only information I was able to find that kind of touches on this is actually in uh, one of the preview chapters for Winds of Winter, where Stannis is interrogating a maester that he's captured from Winterfell, and he's trying to figure out what Ramsay Bolton sent in his last raven. And okay. the maester's not, but he's he's interrogating him, and he asks, "A maester's raven flies to one pa- place and one place only. Is that correct?" The maester mopped sweat from his brow with his sleeve. Not entirely, Your Grace. Most, yes. Some few can be taught to fly between two castles. Such birds are greatly prized. And once in a very great while, we find a uh, raven who can learn the names of three or four or five castles and fly to each upon command. Birds as clever as that come along only once in a hundred years. So the other thing I found in in researching this on the the wiki of Ice and Fire is that um, apparently it's not just ravens that carry messages. There's like pigeons and, and doves, but they're not as smart they're not as reliable and they're not as as sturdy like you know ravens are better at fighting off like eagles they're more crafty about how they fly over land um one hobby of of, of armies is shooting down ravens to disrupt communications sure um there's no hint at how much it costs it doesn't seem like again you just put aside all commoners. You're not going to have like some fucking crofter from some fucking random village sending out a wedding announcement, all right? Because everyone that you meet that's not a highborn person is illiterate. Yeah. And they wouldn't know what to do with it if they did. It's not, this isn't class. This is just the reality of a medieval society. Mm-hmm. Um, so it seemed, I've always thought that the Ravens was a, is a maester system because it's always associated with them. The maesters are ones that care for them, yeah. that train them, that select them for their purposes, who write the messages and send them off. And it's the Citadel that kind of like does, they do Citadels all, is, is the one that breeds the special white Ravens that are used to communicate the change of seasons. Um, it seems like it's it's something entirely provided by them, and if you don't have a maester, it's kind of like you're unplugged from that part of the network. I feel like the maesters are one of the power centers. They really like, are a serious power center. In they the really are, and they hide they hide in plain sight by their humility, like you know sure, the fact yeah. that oh, we just serve the realm and we just right like the know. high sparrow, right? Exactly. Uh, yeah, I'm just exactly. doing God the will of the gods. Right? Uh, isn't isn't Bran technically like the ultimate enigma machine during like a siege or something? Oh yeah, because couldn't he warg right into a raven and just pull it down? Sure, like, he could. Oh, you're sending a message. Hmm, I wonder what that says. Grab the raven. I, and I, that's I, I, I said in a preview podcast. Like I think one of the big uh. roles that Bran has to play is the some sort of like crucial battlefield commander to like uh-huh. enable all the forces of good to stay in contact and have this intelligence that because that. It does seem like right or wrong that that's something they're suggesting. The fact that like the intelligence systems have broken down in Westeros because mm-hmm. everyone knows what everyone's doing or they don't know <laughs> what anyone's doing, and uh-huh. like you know the 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 most reliable networks have been taken over by hostile forces. And uh, 
But yeah, uh, he also wonders if there's any chance Littlefinger's on to Arya and the Faceless Man. He's ethnically bravosi, as we talked about in, uh, I think, the previous spoiler hmm. podcast, uh, and might have grown up with tales of them. Uh, also, he just just see a young woman display herself to be a legit badass. That's an interesting theory. You're right. Uh, Baelish's grandfather was a bravosi sellsword and as we talked about last week uh their their family crest is the 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 giant of uh of uh of bravos mm-hmm. so it would be especially if when she says uh no one taught me that that would definitely perk up his ears if he's yeah. paying attention yeah that could that would explain why he's got that kind of disquieting so maybe i don't know maybe he knows the secret the defeating them or like a way to <laughs> fuck so up their big faces pink lips yep <laughs> Big pink lips. What? Yeah, he's going to put on the lipstick. He's just going to go oh. kissing everybody. <laughs> okay, we're talking about Cersei's Forever, here, tw- Forever 21 lipstick. Give your uncle a kiss. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ryan, K- I, you know the thing is, uh, Arya knows how to deal with child molesters. Yeah, she sure does. She sure as fuck knows what to do with those fuckers. <laughs> yep. Ryan K., Here's the question I think everyone wants to ask, but we've all overlooked so far. With over only nine hours of television left in this TV show and clearly still the battle for the Iron Throne looming, what could we possibly learn about the White Walkers that we don't already know? Yes, it would be great to get a backstory on them besides how they were made, but in all honesty, I think the Double Ds are just going to use them as the last evil force the good guys must defeat. I know as a Mm. book reader and a Gurm fan, it's sad to admit this, but because these books have not been written, this is the most likely outcome we're going to get on this front. Another traditional fantasy story ending, and that's not what we signed up for. Hmm. I mean, so here's the other thing. I've heard that the next six episodes in season eight, the one thing that I have heard about them is that there's one that's got a planned runtime of an hour and a half. Yeah, and in fact, that like it's 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 been what I've heard that they're all kind of supersized Game of Thrones episodes. Hmm. So it could be like almost getting seven, eight possibly more actual seasons um, or actual episodes. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, like, since we know nothing about it and there's no expectations, I feel like there's a lot more room to, you know, and and, and these are questions that people are already on their mind. There's a lot more room to introduce this stuff late without needing a previously on or anything like that because it's just a totally new thing that we're all – like like I would I would put up with a lot of exposition, mm-hmm. a lot of like like and and there's also have a mechanism where we've already seen the Night King infiltrating Brand's visions. Like they already have a mechanism where they could kind of like talk and discuss and like figure out what their real deal is that wouldn't seem sure. like it's forced or out of place. Because mm-hmm. I and, and you know this might be me holding on to the 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 wish fulfillment angle, but I. I do think that's the one thing that would be disappointing is if the, the 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 White Walkers are just this unknowable alien evil force that do nothing but cause death and devastation for no reason. Mm-hmm. It's completely anti Game of Thrones story. So, and you don't think they've given enough of a reason for that? I mean, well, with the Children of the Forest backstory and the reason they were mm-hmm. created, and I I I almost feel like they have given us that information. About their motivations, yeah, the they are just a, lot, a killing though. machine, right? Like, but it it comes into conflict, I think, when you talk about okay, they're taking babies and the Craster stuff. Like, right? Uh, clearly, they have some some purpose beyond just killing, right? Because, but you know, they, again, their their purpose ended a long time ago when the the children of the forest and the first men uh, created a peace accord to then combine together and defeat them. So, mm. I, I would like a little bit more nuance to what they're trying to do. Okay. Um, 
you know, even if it's just like, hey, we're actually decent folks, we, you know, it's like there's a lot of theories, and you go back to our spoiler archive, we talk about, like, the Night King and, and the relationship of the Starks and Winterfell and why must why they always say there must always be a Stark in Winterfell and have... Since they've forgotten so much of this this pact that they made with the children of the the forest, like, is there something that the humanity is doing that's technically in violation? Hmm. You know, people point out that, like, the White Walkers started coming, you know, started beefing when, uh, you know, the rangers are ranging north. And, you know, maybe, like, humans are supposed to stay on this side of the wall and the fucking wildlings are there and it's a provocation. I, I, I don't know. Like, it would be interesting if there was some treaty that were in technical violation and maybe we'd defeat them just by remembering what we want. Like maybe we're supposed to give them like a bushel full of babies every 10 years or something. Like I, mm-hmm. and we haven't been doing it. Like yeah. there's gotta be something there. Um, that's my opinion anyway. Uh, Dayton from Austin, Texas. Uh, I've been rereading and something from Danny's uh, dance with dragons chapters caught my eye. We haven't talked in a while about the warning Danny receives uh, from Quaith to beware the perfumed Seneschal. I think that's how you pronounce that name. Hmm. Uh, I know this doesn't appear in the show, but if it's fulfilled in later books, it might have an impact on the show, of course. I used the search for ice and fire to find the word perfumed, and lo and behold, our dear friend and advisor to Danny, Varys, is first described as being heavily perfumed. Could he be the perfumed essential that, uh, in the show? Could this mean betrayal where Varys realizes that Danny may not be what's best for the realm? What are your thoughts? What the hell is essential? So Seneschal is like an old-timey uh, word that means kind of like a steward or a major domo or essentially a very high-level administrative person in a noble mm. house. Okay. So if you think steward, like the stewards of Gondor, the fact that the Tyrells were the stewards to the gardeners, um, that you're you're on the right position. And this is um, this is something that is get kicked about because it's a prophecy and it's a it's it's a, not a prophecy. It's you know, Quaith is this mysterious figure that appears a couple times in Danny's life, and she's got this intricate jeweled mask, and she always says this weird enigmatic shit, and then she disappears again. Uh, but there's a couple of candidates for who this could be. In the books, there's the character of Resnick Mo Resnack, <laughs> uh, who is kind of the sinistral of Danny's court, and he has a penchant for wearing a lot of perfume. So he's literally, I mean, he's not referred to as a sinistral, but that's his position mm-hmm. of course as you said Varys you know you could describe him as being a kind of a steward on the on the small council mm-hmm. and he always wears perfume and he's powdered and he's 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 very uh i guess manicured would be the word um there's also um the ship that carries Tyrion Lannister and Jorah Mormont over to Essos is called the Selasori Corhan which is translated as the fragrant steward. That's literally the okay. perfume essential. So this could actually uh-huh. be a warning about trusting Tyrion or Jorah, hmm. for that matter. Yeah. Uh, also, Archmaester Marwyn, which we've talked about. He's like, uh, if, if I want to uh, prick your memory about it, I've talked about him being uh, the guy who trained Miri Mazdur, who was the witch woman who who cursed Danny and and uh, did black magic on Drogo. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also trained Kyburn. And anatomy, um, and he's like the mate the, the he's referred to as the mage of the citadel because he still believes in magic and he's still trying to make the glass candles glow and do all this shit. And uh, he's last seen when when uh, he finds out that Danny's over there and she's got dragons. He boards a ship called the Cinnamon Wind, which would be fragrant. And now you're like, well, where's the Cinnamon go uh, come in? Well, the Maesters um, 
every year uh, elect a position called the seneschal by essentially lots, like because it's seen mm-hmm. as a demotion because you have to just you spend all your time with the business of making the citadel run and you can't do your studies and you can't do your research and all that. Right. And one of the speculations is we're going to find out that Marwin was previously served as a seneschal. So that he would be literally boarding a fragrant ship, and he's a seneschal, and he sh- and and uh, Danny could, could should watch out for him. Those are the ones that are like. Uh, uh, there's a couple more, but I I kind of selected ones I thought were kind of serious. Like there's um, shit I can't remember what house, but there's this dude that farts a lot that's on Danny's small council. Yeah, sir no, farts that, that, a lot. That's on Cersei's mm-hmm. small council, and that's like that's a, he's a perfume <laughs> seneschal, and I'm like that's perfume. That's a fucking, that's a fucking hmm. joke suggestion. Get it out of here. Yeah. The thing is that prophecy is not in the books, but if you look at the short list of people that are actually on the show, uh, you got Tyrion, you got and you got Varys. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it seems like there's a case you could make for both of them. I wouldn't have said that about Tyrion until this episode, but boy, they really show a lot of conflict. But by the way Danny's yeah. vaporizing his men, the way she almost kills his brother, the fact that he still obviously cares about his brother, mm-hmm. and then Varys, you know, all he has to do—he's already said it in the episode. Like, if I think that you're no longer serving the realm and you're going a little mad, Queenie, maybe I'll tell it to your face, but maybe I'll just fuck you. Yeah, um, those are the ones that, I, that stand out to me. Uh, Naomi S. This is the last one. Do you think Benjen Stark might have a significant role to play in the upcoming War of the North? And do you think we'll ever see him again? It seems like they gave him enough significance in the early show to just abandon his character later. Uh, and we know he's still alive-ish, so maybe we'll have insight into the White Walkers. Man, I have a hard time touching this because I was so convinced that this whole cold hands and Benjen was just some bullshit. Mm-hmm. And then he came just like you're on Greyjoy, roaring back. Sure did. And I had to eat all my words. So I, it seems likely, like if you looked at the preseason trailers, that there is a group of uh, dudes yep. that go up with John to, you know, like that. Like, and if you, there's, there's a lot of people drew parallels between the last hero with his group of twelve, which also has a nice kind of. Uh, uh, a, a, a nice ring to it because you got Jesus and his 12 apostles. There's also this, the number 13 has been significant in the books because it was the 13th mm. Lord Commander that fell in love with another who, and that Lord Commander was a Stark. And, you know, there's like all this offsetting different like 12 and 13 symbolisms. It wouldn't blow me away if Benjen is in that party. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, it looks like the Hound, looks like the Thoros, looks like Beric is up there. John, I, I would put. Probably Brienne could be up there. Uh, Benjen, Torment, yeah, he's up. So like, I it wouldn't surprise me to see him in that role. But is he significant to the plot? Is he going to be able to give them any insight into the White Walkers? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I'd just be writing fan fiction. I try not to do that. <laughs> I'll leave that up to the double D's. <laughs> yeah. So that's our uh, that's our spoiler podcast for the week. Uh, we will be back Sunday night after the the latest episode with our instant take, and it starts to cycle all over again. We have to fight the the long night to push back the others. Uh, Tuesday with the main podcast, and then Friday with the spoiler edition. And uh, you can uh, get into discussion at Game of Thrones at BaldMove dot com. There's also the forums forums that BaldMove dot com, which is just rocking and rolling with speculation. If you if you like to talk about the leaks, there's a couple of clearly marked leak threads that you can you know get in there and talk with your fellow fans about. And as always, you can follow us on instant uh, on social instant media, instant social media, Facebook.com/slash/baldmove at baldmove on uh, Twitter and Instagram. 
Anything else you want to say in closing? No, I think that's it. I'm excited for uh, the next episode, though. <sighs> Three more episodes. Get to find out what happens to Jamie, what happens to Braun. I assume we get to yeah. find out those things. I, you uh, know, after seeing that video, I actually wondered if a p- unarmored person could haul <laughs> an a, armored a person, person with yeah. 50 pounds strapped. To that's them. a good question. Like yeah. if they do it, I'm not. I'm not going to like wait for the video to prove that you can't. But yeah. like. Super, yeah. By the way, all those links that I talked about are in the show notes. Uh, sounds like we'll we'll see you Sunday night. Until yep. then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.